Tonight on a very special Teal Tinted Glasses, we are going to talk to Nick Nolenberger about the Barracuda and uh, get to the bottom of how excited we should all be about this team this year. This is the in-season version of Teal Tinted Glasses and it starts right now. But as always, if you want to be part of the show, uh, be sure to hit us up on all the social media platforms. You know where we are. Uh, so we're not going to labor on that. We're going to get down to business here. Tonight, it is myself. Kevin Lacey has joined us, and we are joined by the voice of the Barracuda, Nick Nolenberger. Nick, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having it's, me, guys. It's, it's been a little bit because, a little because, bit because, because of COVID, think, because of COVID uh, among, other things, uh, among but, other things. But I'm um, excited for the year. Excited for the year. Excited to be on. Excited to be on. Thank you for having. Thank you for having. Awesome. Uh, pleasure's ours. Absolutely, uh, Nick. I'm going to be very honest here, right? Like uh, on Teal Town USA, like I am hoping to do a lot of Barracuda coverage this year. But I'm going. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm a lapsed Barracuda fan. Um, I was watching the Barracuda a lot when they first moved to San Jose, but then life things happen. I live in a time zone that's not great for a bunch of hockey games starting at 1030 at night. Uh, So so I'm a lapsed fan. So I'm glad that you're here because honestly, I feel like, and I've been pretty honest, like I don't have a good grasp of where things are and I'm looking forward to like hitting the ground running, but I'm glad you're here because I I feel like we can all educate some because I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be looking at the Barracuda this year, you know, as really excited. Like, I think this is the most excitement there's been around this team since they moved from Worcester. Would you agree with that sentiment? I think it'd be hard I to think argue, it'd be hard given, to the, argue fact given the, the fact that the club's building it, they've basically been talking about since talking the club moved to San Jose in 2015. So when they moved, so obviously, obviously the thought was we've got to find them a permanent home eventually, eventually for the time being, for the time being the SAP Center. Now that the building is here, all the excitement and buzz that has led into this moment, it's certainly, I would say, in my time, I wasn't here during the first season, but since I joined back in 2016-17, this is the most excited I've personally been. I think there, there's a genuine buzz among the players, among the staff. Uh, you couple the fact that you've got a brand new building and entirely new coaching staff. I would say a roster that's at least 50% different from what we saw a year ago, maybe more. Um, new jerseys and just an excitement around the team as a whole. So, yeah, I, I would agree. It, it, it's certainly um, it's certainly a exciting time of the year that, that I don't feel, feel like I've experienced during my time. Awesome. So I think before we before we talk about this year, I have to ask the question: Where did it all go wrong last year? <laughs> well, it went wrong. It, it certainly went wrong in a big way towards the end of the year with that fifteen game losing streak. I, I think there was a, a, a bevy of, of factors. Um, NHL teams and every team is dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Still dealing with the the impact of COVID. Uh, you had uh, Omicron come in. I think around what November, uh, yeah. December. Um, that completely devastated the American League team. Um, then you you add on top of that that the organization. It, this has been clear over the last handful of years. They were going to go youthful at the American League level. They were going to give their prospects every single opportunity to play big minutes in all situations. And then at the NHL level, we even saw a lot of young players get opportunities at the National Hockey League level with the Sharks not at the level that they hope for over the last couple of years as well, which provides opportunities for young players. Sometimes that isn't always a good thing. That sometimes equals that your team is struggling from a win-loss standpoint. 
I think there's been a complete uh, philosophical change this offseason. Look at the roster for the Barracuda. Look at the NHL roster, all those veteran players to fill the gaps now. Instead of allowing young players to pop into the lineup right away and play in the NHL, maybe without really earning that opportunity, at least to the degree that you would hope, and at least to the degree of what we've seen over the history of the organization with all the success, it was hard for a young player to break into the lineup. Over the last couple of years, due to, again, multiple factors, including COVID, there's been more opportunities for young players. That hasn't necessarily been great for development. So this year, you look at what could potentially be the Barracuda's starting lineup on opening night. You've got a great mix of young players, high-end prospects, and you've got a ton of veteran players, something that just did not exist last year. So when I look back at the results last year and why it went so south the way it did, mm-hmm. It was. It, I think it really goes back to the fact that the team was extremely youthful, inexperienced, and just not enough high-end talent to compete on a nightly basis. So you had that mix of not a ton of high prospects and then not very many veterans to help kind of guide the way and provide provide the light and the understanding of how to compete on a nightly basis and the habits it takes to be successful at the professional level. The American Hockey League, is it's an erratic league. You hear from players all the time. Sometimes it's a more difficult league in the sense that it's not as crisp. It's not as precise. So it's more of a scrambly game. It's extremely fast, mm-hmm. but it's not, again, there, there's just moments of uh, the game being erratic in, in ways. So for young players, it can be hard to adjust to that. But it also uh, it can be hard to, to have success when you don't have, you know, the guiding light that is veteran players. Jacob Magna was supposed to be the captain. He made the Sharks basically after a month and never we never saw him again. So, I mean, that's the point of the AHL. But it impacted, I, I felt like, the results on the ice in the, in the American League last year for the Barracuda. And obviously it went south quick. And um, the great thing about it is you turn around this year and there's just so many different faces. I think, again, there's a, a refreshing feeling among the group. Yeah, Nick, and I agree there. Also with uh, with Mark Alt as well, with Magna going up to the Sharks, I feel like Mark Alt had to uh, – he had the lay of the land, but it almost seemed like he was getting overwhelmed a little bit too much, like he needed a little bit more support there, uh, being basically the only veteran guy on, on this young club. I know that you and I have spoken for now years about how the Barracuda every single year – are the youngest professional team in North America. And uh, so last year was was no exception there. And uh, it, it felt like going back to when John McCarthy, basically ever since John McCarthy was forced to retire, Joe Will brought in TJ Hensick. And then with Magna and Alt eventually both leaving the team, it was the young leading the young at that point. And I think that there was uh, a lot to burden there with with the team. But even with that said, when the Barracuda did finally seem to start uh, hitting their stride a little bit there, late January, early February, John Leonard played better. Sasha Shmielewski played better. Uh, they both got called up. And so it's like the moment a player started to really hit the ground running, right up to the big club. And I don't think that we're going to see that this season, given that the Sharks have a multitude of forwards still trying to uh, find NHL roles. And Mike Greer and Joe Will have really done a great job of 
stockpiling the AHL roster as well with guys like Andre Agazzino, CJ Cease, uh, all the all the young players coming in, Gustian, Co, Mitchell Russell, like. Yeah, it's a completely different overhaul, and and uh, considering the team finished 31st in the league out of 31 teams, it's what what you hope for, and uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. And you look at the goaltending position; it's going to be really intriguing this year. Brought in Aaron Dell. I know he's up top with the Sharks right now during this European trip, but I would assume he's going to be in the American League. Um, it's just a very intri- intriguing position. Last year was a struggle. I think it was all. All three levels uh, contributed to the goals against average, but I mean, it was it was. If you look at the numbers, it's hard to really to, to work around. It was brutal. It was four point two five goals per game against, and averaging uh, just I believe a hair, if I remember correctly, around uh, two, maybe two and a half goals a game. So uh, hard to win. That's just not going to be a great recipe for success. So um, I think again, it goes back to. to the youthfulness special teams um, was inconsistent at best. Um, it, it just was a snowball effect as the season continued along. I looked at the roster at the start of the year and I thought, wow, this is going to be a pretty good team. Yeah. Uh, you had uh, Joel Shellman was on that group. Um, Dylan Gambrell was on the group. Noel Gregor was on the team at the start of the year. Um, obviously, Gregor went up, stuck in the NHL, well-deserved. Gambrell traded. Shellman ends up leaving the team, going back to, to Europe. Those are just some guys that come to mind. So the team they had at the start of the year was certainly not the team they had near the uh, the end of the year. And again, um, you have as many moving pieces as the team did. Uh, it's it's just not going to usually result in uh, in wins. And plus, at the end of the year, I think I looked at how many players were used. I think we set a set a record for how many players were used. It was almost fifty guys. Yeah, it was like forty eight guys or yeah. something like that. Yeah, which is again it's a good thing if it's young players coming up from juniors at the end of the year and they're highly touted prospects and they're getting games under their belt. Uh, it's not good if you're calling guys up from the ECHL to try to just fill your roster, make sure you have enough guys on the ice from a nightly basis. So um, hopefully the depth is better this year. We talked about the veterans. We talked about some of the young players coming in. Uh, we'll see how things shake out because there is still the potential with the sharks in Europe and extra guys being carried. Eventually those guys will push back into the American league what does it do with some of the young players? Mm-hmm. The training camp roster right now is at 35 guys. Ten of them are tryout guys. Um, you've got young players. I think of an Ethan Cardwell. He's not signed officially yet. What's the plan there? Does he end up sticking around? Does he go back to junior? Ozzie Weisblatt, Tristan Robbins, these are young players still with junior eligibility. Do they go back? We'll wait and see. I think training camp will uh, will play an impact on, on what the decisions are there. But there are options for the organization to continue to allow players to develop uh, their careers, whether it's in the AHL or back in junior. Yeah, I think, like, the one thing that I noticed a lot, like, obviously with the Sharks, like, we watched how the Sharks got completely decimated on the blue line, which means the Barracuda got completely decimated on the blue line. And I, I know there was a couple times where I was talking to Kevin, and I'm like, who who are these guys on the blue line? <laughs> Yeah, can can I jump in real yeah. quick? At one point, Artemi Knyatsev was the only Sharks contracted defenseman on the Barracuda roster right. at one point in the season. That's wild. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And then you, I think of a guy not on an NHL deal last year, and he's coming back. Anyabuchi, Montana Anyabuchi, really kind of came along as his season went along. But again, these are players that are developing and it's, it, it's trial by fire. Basically they're going to have to learn on the job. And sometimes it's not pretty. Um, there's just going to be inconsistencies in young players games, especially when they're brought in to develop. 
on an American League deal. There's a reason maybe why they weren't drafted a little bit more raw than maybe a, a drafted player, a little bit more of a development curve. So um, there was a lot of factors, I think, that played into it last year. But uh, what's great about this upcoming season, we'll see how things shake out. It's always hard to predict in the AHL with injuries and, and whatnot that goes on above you. And plus, you don't know what you're going to get in the league as a whole. Um, I, I think on paper, this team looks pretty good. And it looks like a team that at the very least can compete on a nightly basis. How do you how do you feel John McCarthy is going to approach this season with obviously with such an influx of new players uh, to mingle in with the veterans? Like, how does that change his approach, do you think? Well, what's really interesting is he's he's filled this development coach role over the last couple of years since he retired. He, he retired, as you guys are, are aware, he had a stroke, had to, had to end his career and then join the coaching staff. The following year, he ends up joining. Uh, he becomes a it's a new role, right? It's a, he's a development coach. He works on the ice from time to time with guys. He goes and visits with prospects, gets on the ice with them, whether it was going to the OHL or the Western League or or uh, colleges. And uh, he's able to work with players um, and just allow them to know that the organization is thinking about them. They're not getting forgotten about. So he has this built in chemistry with a lot of these guys. Plus, he's extremely respected mm. within the organization and uh, among the the hockey world between the NHL and the AHL, just his demeanor, uh, his resume. He's an Olympian, was a national champion at Boston University. You just talk to him, and he's just—he's an articulate, intelligent guy. He's somebody that that right away you're almost drawn to. He's got this uh, charismatic personality, just a really friendly, uh, well-spoken guy, and he's—he's he's evenly keeled. He's not going to get too high. He's not going to get too low. So. For a guy who doesn't necessarily have a huge uh, and robust coaching resume, if you will, just because he was only playing a couple of years ago, right? So he hasn't had a ton of time to, uh, and a runway to, to begin his career. Um, uh, he's already, he seems like a seasoned vet. And there's a reason why the organization has been so um, high on him, uh, even during his playing career, on, on how they kept him around and the way they spoke about him. Um, and then Mike Greer, right? Uh, there's there's no actual connection if you think about it with Greer not being within the organization since his playing day days, but they do have a connection with Boston University. Um, there's just a lot of respect. You hear the way Mike Greer talks about John McCarthy, and he's uh, he's got nothing but good things to say. So um, I think in any job, right, you're going to learn on the fly. You'll learn as you go. But the way guys have talked about him during training camp, he hasn't stuck out in, in a negative way by any means. He, he seems like somebody's been doing it for a while. And what helps as well, Nick, is that Scott Gordon comes in with a just tremendous amount of experience at both the AHL and the NHL level, head coaches at both level or head coach at both levels. And now that's someone else who John McCarthy can can really rely on if I don't expect him to get overwhelmed because, you know, if McCarthy was going to get overwhelmed, he wouldn't be in this position right now. But it is someone that he can lean on for some veteran guidance uh, as he works his way up through the coach ranks as well. So I, I like the balanced coaching staff. Obviously, for, for, for me, my perspective, I think it was well needed. I know a lot of the folks in our chat room year after year have have called for a coaching change and it's going to be very interesting to see how the dynamic changes not obviously with the the development but just uh the different systems that get deployed i think for from from watching from my perspective last season i felt like the forward group in particular 
really didn't do a great job of back checking and helping out the defense. And and the defense was a group that I really uh, was critical of last season, more more so than the goaltending. Uh, I thought the defense had a rough time, but I also think part of that was they were kind of thrown to the wolves there i felt like uh just overall there could have been a better support system but you bring in the guys i mentioned earlier who are veteran ahl two-way forwards and really uh we could see a lot of improvement from guys like nick chichek and as you mentioned montana onyabuchi who are still learning their way through the pro game and now they'll have an opportunity to try out some new things rather than just constantly facing pressure coming at them so yeah yeah it'll it, it'll be uh again it'll be interesting and, and you talked about the the coaching staff there's been wholesale changes at both levels in the nhl and the ahl for the sharks organization it's it's been well documented and uh with change i think you you get a refreshed set of eyeballs sometimes on the on the on the same thing right and th- that's not a, that's not a bad thing at all and and just just speaking about Roy, we'll, we'll see him uh, plenty in the Pacific Division and a guy who was so respected by the players, such a player's coach. It, Absolutely. It, it gives you a real understanding of uh, the respect he has in the hockey world, given the fact that I think I thought personally his coaching career may be done just given the fact that he was they offered him a, an opportunity to stick around and he still had the itch and you've got to respect it. You got to love Roy's fire. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting seeing him, but, uh, it gives you an idea, just the respect that, that people have for him as well. And the respect that John McCarthy has for him, having played for him as long as he did. And, um, you know, sometimes change isn't always an indictment on the folks who depart. Right. So, right. Um, it'll be interesting on, on how things mesh and gel as we go along. I remember sitting there, uh, just goofing off on my laptop on the 4th of July perusing the coach's website going oh there's an ahl section of the coach's website now that's new let me have a look wait why why is roy summer listed on san diego has has anyone reported this Uh, is this a thing and so even my sources i contacted uh said i haven't heard anything and then a week later suddenly roy summer is the new san diego head coach and it's like huh I found that by complete yeah, I did not. I didn't see that coming. I did not yeah. see that coming. But uh, I saw Roy during the, the rookie tournament, and uh, he's just such a good guy and such a iconic, classic figure in the hockey world. So, hey, if you still have the bug to coach uh, after all these years, I mean, more power to him. And it'll be fun to battle him. I, I mean, just as as a viewer and somebody who, who loves the sport and loves the competition, it'll be fun to fun to watch that when it when it all transpires this upcoming year. Yeah, absolutely. It's weird. It's weird seeing Roy Sommer behind a, a bench that's not the Barracudas for sure. Um, obviously, the, the the Barracuda just moved into the new Texas Arena, which, by all accounts, I mean from what I've seen, I, I've never been obviously, but from what I've seen, looks really really nice. How do you think that's going to help the team as opposed to playing in SAP last year? It's going to be massive. Think about a Tuesday, a Wednesday night. It's uh, at SAP Center. I mean, it was it was almost entirely empty, and mm-hmm. um, it's it, it's a challenge, and it will continue to be a challenge having an American League team in a in a major league market. But I think getting out of the shadow of the Sharks, uh, really building an identity for the team, 
being able to sell this brand as something that's very family friendly and affordable um, and just fun and entertaining. It has that kind of minor league sports vibe, but a major league feel as well, because it's really a world class facility. Um, Ian, you may know better than me, but it really has a great uh, almost junior hockey league vibe. It does. Yeah. Uh, collegiate vibe to it. Um, so, you you know, uh, being in, in OHL territory, um, you've probably seen some barns a little bit more intimate than what you see in the NHL. And it's going to be fun to have that type of atmosphere. The, the, the players are, are going to, I think, feed off of it. Um, they're going to have energy and um, that's going to go a long way. Again, there was there was just nights last year. The team is struggling. Um, again, you're playing third, fourth fiddle at SAP Center because there's concerts uh, that are in front of you. Obviously, the Sharks are in front of you. So you don't necessarily get the best dates. Uh, and then you're running into, you know, early week games and it, the the crowd um, and just the, the atmosphere at times was almost non-existent. So now you look at this year, you get a Tuesday night, you have a couple hundred people. If, if you run into a situation like that, it still feels loud. We saw it at the rookie tournament. It wasn't full right. the first night and it was still it was still buzzing. So. Yeah. Um, that, I think that'll be one of the coolest parts about it. I think yeah, no more here. Bon Jovi oh, forcing the Barracuda all over to uh, to the ice center. <laughs> yeah, and, right. And, and costing exactly. us 14 game winning streaks or anything <laughs> yeah. like that. But, <laughs> hey, we're already there. We're yeah. we're just uh, a block away or half a block away. So, yeah, the arena yeah, here, I, the arena here holds, I think, just under 4000. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's nice and cozy. Yeah, so it's. About the same, forty two hundred is Tech CU. Yeah. So that's yeah, um, fun. Perfect it's size. Great. It's perfect a great size. like. It's just, but it, but it, I agree. Like the the smaller building, great atmosphere. You can't beat it. And and I think it's going to be better than the cavern that SAP Center kind of looked at sometimes during some Barracuda games. Yeah, and for those of you who are watching, thank you. Yes, thank I you. hope uh, you continue to watch uh, show after show here. But for those of you who haven't been out to Tech CU Arena yet, think of it as a mini SAP center in terms of like decor, but newer, more refreshing. Like it is gorgeous. I I've been there now four times, five times, and it still ex is exhilarating every time I walk into that building. It is just fantastic. And so from, I can only imagine how the players must feel, especially uh, any of the returning players, looking at this new, fresh perspective. And again, you said uh, it'll look less cavernous, and that's got to be a little bit more inspiring, seeing fans, hearing fans, and... and uh, it's 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 a totally different atmosphere and it's going to be a, a lot of fun and I'm hoping a lot more people turn out uh, with this new exciting venture that the the sharks and the barracuda are bringing on. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just just a quick note here for everyone watching. I, we're having Skype's doing some weird things tonight to my OBS. I don't know what's going on, so pictures keep getting bigger and smaller. I apologize, but I, I'm hoping this sounds great and that's the important uh, that's the important thing. Um, obviously. Definitely. Nick, there's a lot of excitement around the team with obviously a lot of the new faces coming in. But what, who are some of the guys from last year's team do you think maybe aren't getting the attention they deserve because of the excitement around guys like possibly Eklund and Bordalo playing with the Barracuda this year? It's going to be really interesting. Like I said, I, I think the Sharks, let's say home opener roster is going to, it's going to change, I would assume, when the team gets back. They've got the opener coming up in Prague this weekend against Nashville. They'll play Friday and Saturday, and then the team comes back. 
So it'll be interesting if there's if there's more movement, and I would assume there will be. Um, but you look at the guys who are in camp right now. Jasper Weatherby, I think, was a little bit of a surprise that he didn't get the call to Prague. I mm-hmm. think the same thing can be said for Scott Reedy, the way that he played near the end of the year. You almost forget those two guys because they played in college and they're a little bit older. You almost forget that they're only in their second season of professional hockey. So those are two guys up front that uh, are interesting. If they're in the American Hockey League, at least to start the year, that's going to be a huge boost to uh, John McCarthy's lineup because you hope for those two that they're going to take a huge leap in their game in year number two. You always see that that learning curve uh, kind of flatten out, if you will. Uh, for these players in year two because of all the information they gained in that first year. Um, Artemi Kinyazim, an interesting player, obviously a high draft pick for the Sharks a couple of years ago. I think he struggled last year. There was a a lot of expectation for him going into the year. He had an excellent development camp. I really lit it up. I thought his skating was uh, phenomenal. And uh, just talking to the broadcasters um, and kind of leading into training camp, he was a guy that I thought, wow, man, he he may have a chance to – push for for an nhl job i don't know on a full-time basis or or not but it just never came together for him um it was it was a sluggish start it's tough for a player um he's a russian-born kid obviously played in the quebec league so he had comfort in north america but you're still working through the language still working through the league we talked about the HL being a little bit errat- erratic in terms of uh, it's not as crisp as the NHL, but it's physical mm-hmm. and it wears you down for a young player. You see it uh, more often than not with college guys because of how long the season is. Yeah. But for even a young player like Nyazov, who's not a huge guy, and it's going to take him a couple of years to kind of build his mass, um, you could tell it was wearing on him in the early stages of the year. That being said, I felt like the final third of the season, he really started to, to get some comfort in his game. Um, just from a point standpoint, he started to be a little bit more assertive offensively. Wasn't as scared to shoot the puck. Wasn't uh, getting it off his stick as soon as possible. Kind of holding on to it a little bit longer in a good way. Uh, just had a lot of confidence to his game. So really interested to see where he goes. Um, there's a lot of guys this year. Hataka is another guy. He's not going to be a huge offensive producer, but Smooth skating guy, played in the NHL last year, made the team out of camp for the Sharks, and came back to the American League. Can he really just dominate at the AHL level and really force the hand of, of the Sharks' brass this year? It'll be really interesting. Um, all these players have a fresh slate, and for some it's a good thing. I think uh, for others, maybe the equity they built with the prior regime is is now started over. So that it'll be interesting. It's given everybody... Um, and basically a, a fresh start. I mean, they, they really have an opportunity to uh, grab the bull by the horns and, and run with this opportunity because there's there's new eyeballs on you and, and different decision makers. So um, there's lots of guys. Raska is another guy, just I a fiery sandpaper, uh, just a guy that you love on your team and you hate to play against. So I, I want to see his game um, take a take a step this year. Can he provide a little bit more offense? He was pretty effective offensively in junior. Um, it didn't come on last year. I, I felt like there was moments, but just never on a consistent basis. But yeah. what he did provide was energy nightly. So I mean, I'm kind of rambling on guys. There's so many young players that you're, you're intrigued to see here in year number two. Um, I could just go on and on, but that's just a, a kind of a, a group that came to mind uh, thinking about guys going into their second year. I, I really I, mean, I, I like those jump. guys. I like I really like Hadika. I love Adam Raska. Adam Raska is like one of my favorite guys like i i don't think like his ceiling is super high but he's just a fun guy to watch 
Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to jump in on the Adam Raska train here for a minute. So and train is actually a great word I just accidentally <laughs> used because he comes into the corners like a train and just bulldozes people. And he's not a big guy either. I think he's 5'11". So, but I have a question because I know that our our fans and I get get tweets all the time about Adam Raska and ever since the development camp, Ethan Cardwell. There are only so many roster spots available in terms of the the playing 12 forwards. Does Adam Raska have something to prove here? Even though, yeah, he's probably the hardest hitter on the team and got the biggest engine. But there's a guy like Ethan Cardwell who's trying to make this team. He was drafted by the Sharks, but there's no guarantees. He could go back to juniors, but... Uh, for an overage year, but he's got that same kind of a motor. He's not as as physical, but he still plays physical. And I think he's got a little bit more offensive upside. So uh, do you think anything, do you think Adam Raska has anything to be worried about or, or just, I guess, does anyone, you know, is, is it fair, great, fair game for anyone on this team? Well, if you, as we just spoke about, all these players that were drafted by the previous regime, is there a love affair with these guys like there was with the last group? I would say probably not. So many of these players really have to prove their worth. And do do they make a big enough impression on the new group, uh, the new group and new brass um, to stick around? And again, it's going to be internal competition at every single level. And I think that's been um, stated already by by the new group. So um Raska is a guy and, and you guys talking about the fact that you like his game he's just a guy that is just not going to go away yeah. Um, yeah right whether you think maybe from a skill standpoint looking strictly at the numbers sure Ethan Cardwell maybe has a little bit more of an offensive upside but First, they're going to fill different roles uh for one but Raska is just a guy that he, he you may you may try to pull him out of the lineup or see if other guys can can take that opportunities to uh, opportunity excuse me um but he, he he's just hard to push down because he's got a relentless motor he's he's full of energy if you ever co- have a conversation with him um uh, just uh really bubbly personality always <laughs> smiling loves to be at the rink really is a just a rink rat loves yeah. the sport and if this guy can progress in his career i mean he, he was a very late round draft pick yeah um sharks have had some success in later rounds but uh an interesting player just given the fact that he's got the motor that he does it's something that just you cannot teach um you can't really learn you've just got to have it um and, and that that makes him a unique player and i think that uh that separates him maybe from from different players but again it's going to be up to him if he can take advantage of of his opportunities, but it's not going to be a lack of a lack of effort for Adam Raska because he is I, uh, full go all the time. I always loved your interviews with Adam Raska last year because he had that a little bit of that European honesty and plus youthful honesty as well. So it'd be like, yeah, I need to play better, or we need to have more fans out here, or whatever. Yeah. It was like. He's telling it like it is, and I yeah. love it. <laughs> you know? yeah. He plays. He's got a little bit of Tomas Shirtle in the sense that he's just uh, Tomas is the same way, so so smiley and mm-hmm. happy, and yeah. um, even though English isn't his first language, one of the best interviews you're going to get, just because, as you mentioned, he's very transparent, uh, very honest, 
Um, and uh, it, it's just he's just a fun guy to be around. He's just got a certain energy to him that uh, it, it's just fun to have around in the room. A player that I think a lot of people thought had a pretty clear path to the opening night roster, and he's not. He's currently at Barracuda Training Camp. Ryan Merkley. What does Ryan Merkley have to do to get his game to the next level? Because I feel like with well, Frank Burns gone, like there, there's there's a big Ryan Merkley sized hole on that blue line now. Because I feel like yeah, for for guys that can you know move the puck up ice and stuff, like obviously there's a lot of veteran players there. So I think waivers definitely played a big factor into Merkley not being on the opening night roster. But what does he have to do to kind of kick down the door? Well, again, goes back to you got a new regime, so he's got to try to, and maybe it's a good thing. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a fresh start. But obviously, the fact that he's in the American Hockey League, it, it's—I um, don't know if it's an indictment on on him, but it's certainly—it's. Uh, I think it's clear that the organization feels like he still has some development to his game, and you heard it from David Quinn. Um, you heard it from multiple members of the organization. He's got to continue to evolve his 200-foot game. Um, he's got to become a better defender. I think when I watch him, you, you watch him, and it, it's just dazzling skill at times. Yeah. I mean, he's walking guys like very – he's walking NHL players in some of these preseason games. But then there's moments where he, there's a mental error or um, sometimes I think what people get a little bit fresh with, frustrated with him, and this goes back to his personality because he's got a very kind of laid-back uh, demeanor to him. Sometimes he plays that way where you just want him to take it up a notch. You just want him to turn it up to the next gear. Um, and, and we'll see if he's able to do that. I mean, again, you can't teach Ryan Merkley skill. There's a no. reason why he was a first-round draft pick. There was a reason why he was talked about being drafted in the top ten. Um, we'll see. I mean, this is this is a big, big year for him, obviously. And we'll see if he can take – you know, this opportunity in, in the American Hockey League and take it in stride. So far, I've been around him the first few days of camp. His, his attitude is great. Um, he, he's not moping around. His lip isn't dragging on the floor. That's good. Um, but he's got, to, again, I think for Sharks fans and for the organization, they want Ryan Merkley to be in the NHL, obviously. But at this point in his career, it, it seems that they don't feel like he's quite ready to be a regular in the lineup. And again, it goes back to competition. Um, and we'll see if he's able to kind of turn the corner just because you don't make the team out of camp right away. That that doesn't necessarily mean you won't be in the NHL for most of the year. We saw it a ton last year. Um, often there's surprises out of camp that don't always sustain. Um, and sometimes it goes the other way too. Maybe a guy doesn't make the team right away and then he, he starts to find his stride. So we'll we'll see with Ryan Merkley. But um, it is noted he's in the American Hockey League. I think you can't deny the fact that he's there. But if he can take it in stride and continue to grow his game, he could be back in the NHL next week. So we'll just have to wait and see. Do you think I'm going to paraphrase? Sorry, go, ahead. A, go ahead, Kevin. I'm going to paraphrase a question from our chat from Rob Iman. Uh, do you think this is a make or break year for Ryan Merkley uh, in terms of his development? Like if he doesn't eventually find his way on the NHL roster by the end of the season, uh, is that considered a negative or should we give it a little bit more time? Cause I don't, I don't know if I get asked more about Ryan Merkley than anyone else in terms of like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? But we also got to remember again, AHL is a development league, bar none. So he's still only, what, 22 years old? There's still time there. But is this a make-or-break year for him? 
it's it's tough to say, right? I'm not in inside. Uh, sure, you know, sure. It, it, where the brass are making decisions, but and, and I wouldn't want to say anything about a player that's uh, over my skis because you see development and you see exponential growth quickly for players. Obviously, you'd like him now in year number three of his pro career to stick in the NHL and become a regular in the NHL. It's a first round draft pick. That's why fans ask about him. Yeah. An organization that is desperate for young, talented players. Um, again, I think it, it goes back to how does he take being in the AHL at this point? Can he take it in stride? Can he learn from this? Um, and and we'll see where he takes it. It's just it's so hard to predict, and I wouldn't want to say that it's make or break and 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 have him come back <laughs> next year. <right? laughs> um, but again. You can't teach the skill, and we'll see if he if he can take this in stride. It's 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 very to be determined, I think, with with this young player. Sure. Nick, what are we like? Obviously, we we see a lot of strengths coming into this season compared to last year. But what are, are there any weaknesses on, on this team that you still see going into the season? Uh, it, that's interesting. I, I do like the forward group. I, I really like I like our goalies now. Makini, yeah. who came over that trade for Brett Burns, really interesting prospect. Played last year in Chicago in the American League on a Calder Cup winning team. Um, suff- suffered some some injury stuff, and I think that's why he didn't finish the year there. Yeah. Um, only played I think around fifteen games. Fourteen like games. Fourteen, yeah. thirteen, a one or something. So. Has good size, 6'2". Um, he, he'll be interesting. He's looked good in camp. Mentioned Aaron Dell will help solidify uh, the goaltending position as well. Strauss, man, looked really good in, mm-hmm. in uh, development camp. So I, I like the goalie position. I look at the D as being uh, interesting um, on the depth. They brought in Derek Pouliot, who, yeah. who's a veteran, who was a top-10 pick uh, by Pittsburgh, has a, has a Stanley Cup ring. Um has played a long time. I think this is year number nine for him. So to have him in the locker room, I think is really, really big. Uh, maybe will help solidify the defensive core. Um, I just look at the decor as just being very youthful. So yeah. we'll see how it crystallizes as the season continues along. But if I had to look at one area, um, I, I think D is maybe the biggest question mark. And that could not be a question in a couple of weeks if some of these young guys can take a stride. Anything you want to add to that, Kevin? Oh no no no! I just I I think that year after year I've gotten it wrong with the D. Like every <laughs> every year I said ah, it's kind of wishy washy, and then D ends up being our strongest uh, you know uh, group there. And then and then you got years like last year where I'm like, oh yeah, our year our we're gonna be so solid defensively, and then you put up four point two five goals against per game. So I don't think you can predict. It. It's impossible, I believe, to predict anything in the American Hockey League because you combine injuries, you combine players in their performance and their uh, evolution of the game. Then you couple that with guys who come in basically out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, Nick Chichek was somebody that uh, at the start of the year, I mean, you bring a guy in on an AHL deal in the hopes that he progresses and earns an NHL contract. But I don't think the expectations were very high for him last year. Right. And he was arguably the most consistent defenseman on the team all year long. So there's just guys that come out of nowhere, and it's so hard to predict. And um, that's kind of the fun of it too, right? It you is, can, yeah. We can make all these these predictions, and then we see how it shakes out. And 
sometimes, I mean, I remember a couple of years back, we had a, we had a great first half to the year and then things just, just hit a tailspin at the, the second half of the year. So again, right. you run into to a rookie wall and there's all these external factors, but um, I think having the team in its own building, it's just going to give this group just a, a rejuvenation and kind of a, a boost throughout the year and moving forward because it's a fun place to play in. It's going to have an atmosphere. Everything's brand new. Um, there should be good crowds night in and night out. And that's going to go a long, long way for, for players. I truly believe that just getting up for games when it's a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night against Bakersfield or, or whatnot, just games that, that sometimes it's hard to get going for. This is going to kind of alter that, that mindset. So in the theme of predictions, I don't, I don't really want a prediction, but what, in your opinion, is a realistic expectation for this team? Is this team a playoff team? Is this team just better? Like, what do you think are real expectations for? Well, it was hard to not make the playoffs last year because they expanded the playoff format. Right. Seven of the nine teams would get in. We still didn't manage to get in. This year, there's 10 teams in the Pacific Division. We'll see about Seattle. We haven't seen any of their prospects, so that'll be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Calgary had a fabulous team last year in Stockton. Now they go up to Calgary. will be the Wranglers. But they lost some of their veteran players, Glenn. Godden and Justin Kirkland were two vets that were really productive. They're now in Anaheim with the Ducks organization. So most likely we'll see them in San Diego. San Diego is always competitive because they're going to they're going to bring in veteran players. They want to win there. Obviously, with the attendance and support they have for the team, they want to put a good product on the ice night in and night out. Ontario always seems to be pretty darn good. At least last year, they were a very good team and they've got TJ Tiny coming back uh, back to back MVP in the American League. So the two SoCal teams are going to be good. Bakersfield is a very solid team. What's going to be interesting with them is you've got Stuart Skinner now in the NHL. He's been a complete thorn in the side of the Barracuda. Yeah. It's one yeah. of the best backstops in the American League. He's going to be yeah. the number two now in, in Edmonton. So um, there's it's always competitive. Uh, Colorado is going to be good. They've got a great home ice advantage, one of the best in the AHL. They always field a pretty good team despite the fact that um, they've had so much success at the NHL level traded away prospects and whatnot but um i would imagine if i had to guess this will be a playoff team this year just looking at the roster looking at the veterans uh that were brought in looking at some of the young players and and hoping that the development continues along for the guys who were here last year um i would be very shocked if this team didn't find a way to get in the playoffs and i would imagine they're going to be one of the better teams in in the division if i had to guess just looking at it on paper and who was brought in and guys who have good resumes in the in the American League and our consistent, solid pros, I think that's going to go a long way in uh, just what the product is from a from a night to night basis. Um, I have a, like I, I think a question I'd like to finish on because we, we you brought up Aaron Dell a few times. What do you think Aaron Dell's role is going to be on this on this team? Well, I didn't expect him to re-sign Aaron Dell during uh, free agency, uh, especially with Aiden Hill and uh, James Reimer on the roster. You bring in Makiniemi. Um, obviously, uh, Kakinen joined the fold last year in that trade for Jake Middleton. So you just did not expect a goaltender to be signed. <laughs> Plus Strauss man had already been signed. So it was like, well, what direction are we going to? Obviously that, that room's lightened up a little bit with Aiden Hill going to, um, Vegas. I, I don't know what Aaron Dell's going to, to necessarily, uh, what role he will fill this year because there, there is uh, a lot of goaltending competition, but I think what he'll provide is a consistency on a day-to-day basis, what it takes to be a pro goaltender, the habits it takes to get to the next level. This is a guy who was undrafted, really came out of nowhere, played in the old Central Hockey League, yep. played in the ECHL, 
grinded his way through the American Hockey League and then for a few years was a, a bona fide number two goaltender in the NHL. So I think he's got a path that a lot of these guys can look at. Um, he, he's a guy who really hasn't been given anything and has found a way to, to make a solid pro career. Um, plus, his wife is from San Jose. He's getting yeah. So I think that makes a big difference for him just to, on his mentality coming back to the Bay Area. I'm sure he's excited to, to get back here. Had his most success of his career here. So um, at the very least, it's just got to be one of those stabilizing presences in the net. If the team runs into struggles, you go with Arendelle. Right. You try to just calm the waters a little bit. So I think at the very least, that's what he'll provide. And we've seen it at the NHL level over the last couple of years, especially with COVID. But there's injuries. There's COVID. There, there's a bevy of things that occur in the NHL. And having a third goaltender is a pretty valuable thing as well. So is it Strauss man? Is it Makaniemi? Is it Arendelle? We'll see. But depth at that position is uh, obviously critical to any team's success. And I think and, go, go ahead. Sorry, Kevin. And I think that with Aaron Dell, we should not consider him an afterthought. I think generally, because he is now an older veteran goalie, and his last couple of years with New Jersey and Buffalo haven't gone very well in the NHL. But then when you look at his season in Rochester last year, he was very good. Mm -hmm. He's still an absolutely capable goalie at the AHL. And we will never, ever forget how he dragged the 2014-15 Barracuda team into the playoffs. We talk about it probably every other (laughs) show on here about Aaron Dell refused to let this team miss the playoffs that year. So Aaron Dell, the world's okayest goalie, uh, you know, he's he's right in the mix with Strauss Mann and Itu Makaniemi. So uh, don't, don't sleep on him guys. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I love Aaron Dell. Like so interesting. I I think the goaltending for the Barracuda is going to be fascinating because I think Magnus Cronin next year, I think this is his last year of college. Yep. Um, Ben Gaudreau, I believe this is last year of junior. So it's going to be interesting to see how the goaltending like goes forward because there's a lot of guys. Like there's a little bit of a backlog next year. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Nick, super appreciate your time. I'm glad that you came on here and uh, schooled myself and everyone else on the Barracuda. <laughs> I'm super excited about this season starting. Um, I think it's like I said, this is probably the most excited I've been about the Barracuda since they first came to San Jose. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, to getting in the weeds about it again. So I super appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us your time. Of course, guys. And thank you for having me and Ian. Nice to meet you officially. Yes. And uh, yeah, anytime guys, happy to I'd jump on and love talk to have you Barracuda on again. Absolutely. And, yeah. Appreciate that. And uh, for the fans, can't wait to see you guys on October 22nd. We want to pack the barn. So definitely, if you haven't gotten your tickets, make sure to do so. We've got a couple different giveaways on opening night. It's a Saturday game, too. So all Saturday games during the season, $3 beers. So uh, it, it's hard to pass that up if, if you're an adult and you and you like to dabble in, uh, in an adult beverage from time to time. So it should be a lot of fun. But uh, again, thanks, guys. I really do appreciate the time and uh, look forward to doing it again soon. Absolutely. Plus, isn't, isn't there going to be a, a night, like a, a beer night or something coming up here soon? Uh, you can't tell October that I'm really... Yeah, yeah, something along those lines. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can't tell that I'm excited <laughs> about that. Or <laughs> yeah, we got it covered. We've got a great promotional schedule this year as well. We've got tons of giveaways. Um, I can't wait to see the all black uniforms too on opening night. So they're going to rock the, the, the stealth jerseys, the blackout jerseys as we're calling them. So, um, just, okay. it'll be fun to see a different look too. Yeah. I mean, kind of get away from the monotony of the uniforms that we've had for, for right. the existence of the team. So it'll, it'll be, uh, 
just a refreshed vibe at, at all levels. So it should be fun. Awesome. Uh, Kevin, you have any final thoughts before I uh, get us out of here? I have a final thought, Perfect. but it's going to be kind of a, a downer, oh, right, actually, after all. A great show, guys. But so, um, unfortunately, this off season, the um, person who was the play-by-play broadcaster before Nick, uh, Eric Lindquist, passed away yeah. unexpectedly. And I, you know, that's obviously very tragic. And I had spoken with him many times in his first year with the team, did a lot for the team when it was really a bare bones operation. Nick, I mean, it was a bare bones operation for a lot of years with with you here, too. But do do you have any memories of uh, Eric Lindquist? Did you have any conversations with him as you uh, the, the broadcast transitioned from him to you? Yeah, he was great when I came in. I was very green, obviously. This was a guy who was kind of a veteran American League broadcaster over 10 years of experience when he went back home, um, had some personal issues, and that's the reason why he left. And um, Eric was great to me, always kind, always answered my phone calls, always would answer all the questions I had for him. Um, Highly respected throughout the organization as well, and just a bigger-than-life personality. And this guy was a walking comedian. And uh, people used to tell stories uh, before I got here, and I didn't see it in person, but he would deal with all the operations of the team. So he would book all the flights, all the hotels. Um, And obviously, when you take on that role, you've got to be pretty organized because you're dealing with 30 plus players, all the staff. You got to make sure everybody's on the, the flight list and get them to point A to point B. This guy would have per diem popping out of his backpack. He would have money rolling out of the bag. He has papers that are crumpled up. He, it was it was uh, organized chaos, if you will. Um, but he got the team to, to where they needed to go, but wore many hats and um, really, really sad news, obviously. Devastating news uh, for, for the Sharks family and for all those back in Worcester. And I know he had been working with the ECHL team out there as well, but uh People would tell stories. It, it was big shoes to fill when I came because he just had such a big personality and, and again, so charismatic. And I remember hearing stories about him eating during the broadcast and talking about the food. And, and uh, yeah, it was uh, just, a, just a classic, classic uh, figure and, and somebody that's uh, going to be dearly missed. And it was yeah. tough news to hear when, when I found that out. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wishing wishing the best for his family and friends, because that that was a tough, tough bit of news to hear. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, too bad. I have one us. more question relating to that. And then uh, we'll you know, we'll go over to Ian here. But we did also get a, uh, a question from PJ in the chat way, way earlier. So thanks for sending that in. Um, you, you had some real nice chemistry with Drew Rumenda during the rookie face off. You know, I. I got home um, because I was there all three days. Like I was, I was loving it. Had an amazing time. Met so many people. Met you in person. It was, it was awesome. But I did get to listen to a period of you calling the game with Drew, and it sounded very natural. It sounded great. Obviously, commentary much easier to do when you have someone to play off of. I've, I've done these podcasts solo before, so uh, you know it, it, it's a lot easier. Do you expect to have Drew on the show shows more often, or will you have a caller commentator? And if you need one, I'm available. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. Uh, yeah, Drew said he would do it, so I think I'm going nice. to try to hold him to it. He said, anytime I'm in town, I'll do it. Now, I have to check in with my boss, Scott Emmert, who runs the PR department with the Sharks, yeah. and just make sure that's uh, okay <laughs> and that uh, if he needs to be compensated, that's all taken care of. But uh, he said he would do it. So first of all, I was – ecstatic about that just to get a 
call a game with Drew was uh, was incredible for me. I mean, that was the easiest broadcast I've ever had because he's such a <laughs> pro. I mean, I, he just weaved in and out so naturally. It had nothing to do with me. So, um, yeah, that was that was awesome. Didn't even expect him to to provide color. He was supposed to come on during the intermission. I said, "Would you would you mind coming on for a period or two? And he's like. I'll do the whole game. And then he said, I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> so um, we would have had him on Monday, but he does a radio show back in uh, Saskatoon. So he was unable to come. But um, that was a blast. I listened to Drew as a kid growing up in, in Santa Cruz, just outside of San Jose. So I was a lifelong Sharks fan. And get to do that was uh, it was kind of a pinch me moment. So, yeah, it was a blast. Um, I would say that's probably one of the funnest, funnest couple of games I've ever done in my life, just because to have somebody with that type of ability – Having done it for as long as he has, it was just a fun experience. So, hope he comes back. And yeah, I, I think we're going to have a. Hopefully, for a few games, we'll have uh, Liz Child, who's been writing for our website a little bit. She's going to try to help out a little bit too and provide some cool. color. So, yeah, maybe I'll get a breather this year. Nice. So, I'll have to talk to myself for three and a half hours every night. <laughs> You can go grab some food from one of the many concession stands so that you can talk about food on the broadcast. Yeah, there you go. Maybe go to the the fire fireball cove uh, yeah. during one of the intermissions. Pretty yeah, cool bar yeah. that's on that. Liz, board. give me Liz, give me five minutes. I gotta go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the... oh, Liz is great. Looking that's what to uh, that. Drew did during the intermission. Basically, he filled a whole intermission for me. I asked him like one question. He talked uh, for like fifteen minutes. I was like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> that was great all right i am going to get us out of here again i want to thank you nick for being here i want to thank everyone for watching um and you know of course you can always catch us on all the social media youtube hit the bell clip subscribe you know the deal if you have any uh have any comments hit up in the youtube comments um if you want to talk to any of us on twitter uh at nick nolan on twitter for nick nolan burger at kevin lacy 22 for kevin at Ian Bloggs Hockey for this guy here. Um, and other than that, guys, we really thank you guys for being here. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm looking forward to doing this again in the future. And uh, I will let you know when we're going to do this again. So see you all later.